Good. Hey, so we are in 1 John. If you want to turn there in, in your device or in the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, it's right near the back. So we're making our way through 1 John. We're looking at this study and just looking through John's eyes of what it means to keep this thing real. He, he, John's the last, last person writing in the New Testament, we think. And so it's almost like before the apostles are all gone, he wants to just make sure that what's going, what's moving forward is the real and the genuine thing. And he's got some, he's got some serious concerns about what's happening as he's, as he's doing ministry, as he's getting ready to go off the scene. Where we see this morning in chapter 2, he just that sense that real followers, people who are genuine, and that's one of his concerns, they know the truth. They know the truth and, and they hang on to the truth. This passage we're going to see this morning, it's almost like, I was trying to think, what are those times when you just gave a really nervous warning? Like when your daughter went out on her first date, and maybe, let's make that worse, when she's like 12 or 13, do they go out earlier than that? I hope not in these days. Yeah. I mean, I was in the days you could hold off to 16, and then God blessed me so much with a daughter who wasn't really interested. So I wish I could tell you that was upbringing. That was just genetics, I guess, yeah. <laughs> But you got your daughter going out on her first date with somebody that you're not really excited about, yeah, to go somewhere that you're not really sure about. So what kind of warning would you give her, you know, in that moment? Or God has blessed you, things are going right, you manage finance as well, you got a car that's fairly new, and your son is so excited, he's just got his license. And so he's going to take your new car out for a ride by himself. Yeah, I can hear some of the, hear the men's voices now. Yeah. What kind of talk are you going to have with them before they go out? You know, you're going to, hey, I need you to sit down. I need you to pay attention. Or a friend of yours maybe has told you they finally have lined up a job interview, and they're going to interview at a job that you left because it was so toxic. And so what's the conversation you're going to have with them? Hey, there's some things you need to know before you get in there. That's the vibe that you get in 1 John, and especially in this passage that we're going to be in. We're going to start in 1 John 2, in verse 18. 1 John 2, 18, and, and John starts with this word children, which is pretty typical of him. He's going to use that word a lot. In fact, I was, I was chasing down that, that word in John's writings, and I didn't notice John uses it a lot. I wonder if it's because Jesus used it a lot when he was talking to them. But John uses this this one word, in the original language, there's two words you can use for children. All the way through, John uses this one word, until here. And here he uses a word that means like an infant child, a little child. They say this word he chooses is someone that's undeveloped and doesn't understand. And so it's almost like he goes from talking to us like teenagers to talking to us like five-year-olds. Listen, this is so important when he says to them, Children, it's the last hour. Now, now there's, I don't want to say a nervousness because John knows Jesus and he's convinced of that, but he's nervous for these people. He's nervous for these readers to make sure he doesn't lose them, to make sure they don't lose the truth. And so there's that vibe that goes on to this. So let me read from, from verse 18 down to verse 27. He says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming... So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they weren't of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who's the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You get a sense in him? I mean, he circles around really three times this thing. He says at the beginning, children, it's the last hour. Then he says in verse 21, I'm writing to you. And then he says it again in verse 26, I'm writing to you. Just to kind of circle back. You know, if you've got that boy and he's going out in your new car, you're going through how it works, but then you're going to make sure he, he knows that he's, what he's heard from you. And that's the sense of concern that you have here with John. And, and this is kind of how I'm looking at that, that, how this thing starts, that there's an intense spiritual battle all around you. He's just writing to them as followers of Jesus. It's not because they're becoming, going to become missionaries or they're going to become full-time Christian workers. They're just followers of Jesus. And, and so he says to them, you are in an intense moment. It's the last hour. And so, you know, that last hour started before John writes, but it really looks, at, in God's timetable, it looks like there is nothing left to be done until, until Jesus comes, until the end of things. He's gone to the cross, he's risen from the dead, salvation's being provided, and the message is going out. It's the last hour. We are in that moment. And, and he says, so there's that intensity. Boy, the last hour things start to happen. The evil one is aware that this is the last hour, and so he's going to amp up what he's doing, and I think we're seeing that. You know, so many of you know my story. I, was, I loved sports. I was just a terrible, I was a terrible athlete, not ability-wise, but sportsmanship-wise. You, you know, my story just, you know, it's enough to say I led my floor in technical fouls at Moody Bible Institute while I studied to be a pastor. So <laughs> none of that stuff connected for me. So for me, for people like me, for terrible people like me, if it's the last minutes of a game and you are going to lose, you might as well hurt someone. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Can you see why I was embarrassed to go back to Moody for alumni things? Because these people all know me. You're a pastor. Yeah, I am, you know. Hey, Paul killed people. I just, <laughs> I just hacked them. I just hacked them. That's all. Yeah. So the last that I think of that, I, that is what comes to my mind in scriptures when it talks about the end. Because if you're going to lose and you play dirty, you're going to get dirty. And that's what we're seeing. That is what we are seeing. And so John is telling them, it's the last hour. You've got to have a last hour mentality. Not only is it the last hour that tells us we're in this intense thing, is there are many antichrists who are around. Many of them, he's saying, so we need to take a step out, don't we? For those of you who may be newer to Jesus, the Bible talks about the Antichrist who, who will be involved as a world leader during the seven years of the tribulation, the last seven years on earth before Jesus comes back. He will be 
the focal point. He will be Satan's man. He will be really the mirror of who Jesus is to us. He will be in Satan's kingdom. And that's not who John is talking about. We learned about this man. It says, uh, in fact, before I show this verse, I want you to turn with me just to the left a little bit to 2 Thessalonians because 2 Thessalonians gives us really a good understanding of, of who the Antichrist will be. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to start reading in verse 3. He's going to give you a sense of who he is, how he works, what he's going to do. 2 Thessalonians 2, and I'm going to start in verse 3. Someone had written to the Thessalonians and told them, hey, the, you are in the end. You are in the tribulation. And so they're all nervous about that. And Paul says, don't, don't worry about that. It hasn't started yet. Here's how you know. He says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Yeah, so we understand during the tribulation, the temple of Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and then the Antichrist will go and he will sit in God's seat there. It says in verse 5, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what's restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breast of its mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Therefore God sends a strong delusion so that they may believe what is, in, what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the Antichrist, empowered by Satan, carrying out Satan's program, going to be the, the man who, who forces the world to worship him, the man who Revelation 18 is going to say, uh, Revelation 13 is going to say will, will persecute the people of God. Daniel 11 speaks of, of Antichrist. That's not who John is talking about because you see, he says to him, many Antichrists have gone out. Many who are, who are opposed to Christ is really is what we're seeing. When, when someone or some group just teaches and drives a message that is opposite of who Jesus is and what Jesus teaches, there is an element of that in which they are an Antichrist. And so this is an intense spiritual battle that's all around you. It's not just, well, people believe different things. There's a spirit behind that that makes this an intense time for you and that's going to constantly be trying to, to draw the truth away from you or dilute the truth or change your mind about the truth. That's this battle that we live in. In our culture that used to be so really encouraging to Christianity, now we're in a season where it's more challenging to us, which is only going to make us stronger in, in, in a positive way, and it's only going to make it clearer who's following Jesus and who has a false truth. So it's in there. As you read through these verses, you're going to see this, this very clear divide. You see the word they 13 times. You're going to see the word you and us uh, 27 times. So John is writing even that we are living in this us and them moment that where you're trying to, to follow Jesus and you're trying to stay, uh, stay connected to him. And then John let us know that it's not just around them, but somehow it had, they had worked their way into the church. Hey, they were with us and they were of us. They, they were here, but they really weren't of us. They were 
in the building, sort of, but they really weren't part of Jesus like we are because they, they came in. In fact, somebody said, too, John could be even referring to the fact that they went out from us. They went out from John's crew, and they showed up in the church and said, hey, we're from, here from John. And, and John might be saying, I want to let you know, they weren't from us. When they came with this lie, that was not from us. You know, so you have that dynamic, I think, that happens. You see that in 2nd and 3rd John. But you also have this dynamic that inside the church, we've got to be so careful that we don't have false teaching going on. That's not, that's not people that have different convictions about things that are secondary because we're, we're a cult if we make everybody believe exactly down the line what Pastor Ted and I believe. That's cultic. But to have some, some freedom, but to make sure that freedom is on really secondary things that go on. And one thing, another door that I want to make sure I close here is when he uses this word, verse, they went out from us, but they were not of us. He's not talking about people that leave the church because of something that comes up. We got to be careful in that. We can abuse people in that way. Yeah. Now they left, but they weren't of us. Right. You know, sometimes people leave because they don't, you know, they stay a while and, they, and then they get a sense of what we're really about. And I remember having a conversation with one person. It was, it was probably the most God-honoring leaving of a church that I've ever seen. Just talked about our, they understand what our vision is, what our mission is, and that's just not where they are. And so they're going to just find a church where that was. Hey, God bless you then. Because we know Cottage Hill isn't for everyone, and everyone's not for Cottage Hill. We understand that. So the Lord has revealed to me all of you are, though. <laughs> Nobody's to leave. But I just want to make sure you don't use this verse for people that leave. That's not what John's saying. John is saying, here are people that wanted to trash who Jesus was. They are not of us. They're not of us. But somehow they had a place of influence in that body. And so when they left, you can imagine how it threw people in what they taught. Some of you have friends that have walked with Jesus for a long time and not anymore. And that can really throw you. That can throw your own faith for, for maybe a short period of time or maybe for a long period of time. Well, maybe this isn't true or maybe that's... Maybe that wasn't right, or maybe I need to reevaluate that. And that's what's going on with John. And that's why he's writing so directly. That's why sometimes we find some really strong things in, in, in this letter, because he's dealing with things strongly. Or people come and they have such spiritual language or such spiritual experiences, and you're not so sure. You haven't had these spiritual experiences. And so in Colossians, it seems like they deal with this. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes to these believers. He says, therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And he says to him, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Make sure that you don't just get human philosophy you know, guiding how it is you're living or making those decisions. Make sure you're not just carrying forth traditions. You know, Pastor Ted spoke about that last Sunday because in prayer the Wednesday before, we'd sung that song, Make Room, and it says, you know, break down the walls of all my traditions. Just are there things that we're just doing as followers of Jesus just because that's what we've always done? You know, are we making sure that the Spirit is breathing life into this? So... Make sure you're not just following human tradition or the elemental spirits, that there's a demonic element trying to convince us of things that aren't true or trying to water down what is true. 
So Paul warns them against that. And then he says a little bit later in Colossians, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, that's saying no to pretty much everything, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason in his sensual mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that's with, from God. Here's, the, here's that piece that can be dangerous to us. Someone, man, I had a dream, or you know what God was telling me, or you know what God was showing me? Boy, that's stuff that can draw you in. And so that's where, that's where John is. He's writing to people to make sure they're not intimidated because people have come in with a new teaching or a better understanding, or, or it seems the way this is written, telling them, listen, I understand things you can't understand. You know, however that came across, there was such views of knowledge and that some people had higher knowledge and it seems like that's what Colossians is referring to. It's people that have had visions and they've been taken up to a higher plane of knowledge. And so you can imagine if you're a new follower of Jesus and someone comes up to you and says, hey, listen, God has revealed this to me. And has God revealed things to you? No, not really. Well, this is what he revealed to me. And so John is just speaking into them that, there's this intense thing that's going on around, around them that is obviously going on around us with all of the views of who Jesus is and all the threads of Christianity. Here we come back to the truth. And, and we, we stand in what the truth is because that's where it seems like he circles around. The intense battle, it's about the truth. And so he writes to them, this is what's true and you know it and you have knowledge and, and that's going on because truth matters. You know, you have conversations with sometimes if you're trying to share Jesus with people and, and they'll be in a place of, well, I don't think it really, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe if you're sincere. Or I know you believe this, this is what you believe, but this is what I believe. And our problem is there's truth. There's truth in the midst of that that's, that makes everything else wrong if it doesn't line up with that. During Warren Wiersbe's notes on 1 John, he said, there are so many people that are sincere. If we want sincere people, what about the nurse that gives you the wrong medication, but she was sincere when she did it? You know, that's not going to go well. It's not going to go well for you. It's not going to go well for her. How much more with God's truth? I mean, he's really careful with what people say in his name. Remember he said in the Old Testament, if a prophet comes to you and says anything different than I've said, just kill them because they're not from me. Because he doesn't want compromising with that. His book ends, the, you know, the Bible ends with this warning, a curse on anyone who adds or takes away from this book. He's really, he's really particular about what we do with the word. You know, Elizabeth to get up and preach. I know Pastor Ted and I talked about, you, you feel this heaviness that, God, I want to make sure what I say you say is what you really say. And, and Holy Spirit, you got freedom to rein me in if I start to drift off into some application or whatever that's not from you, because it's, it's the truth, and, and the truth matters. If you're, if you're an eyes-open, heart-seeking, kingdom-working follower of Jesus, it matters to you what the truth is. You understand the role that it's going to play in your life. Look at this thing John says. God's given gifted, or Paul says, he's given gifted people to the church and the church was supposed to serve each other. And the end result of that is supposed to be that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by waves or carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You know, the more you know the word, 
the less influenced you are with people that come in with a new understanding or new teaching or new perspective because you know the truth. And, and you're able to sift through, yeah, I don't think that's true. And the more you know the word, the more protected you are by people's methods. He talks about cunning and craftiness and deceitfulness. You're able to cut through that and say, no, I know this. I know what God says. That's not what he says or that's not what that means. So this whole, this whole battle, this whole intense thing that's around you, is for, it's for the truth. It's important. It seems like the key teaching that's under attack, that seems to change in different seasons, in different moments in history even. In Martin Luther's day, it was how is a person saved? Is a person saved by works? Can the Catholic Church sell uh, indulgences? Can the Catholic Church sell forgiveness? Or are we saved apart from our works? That was, that was the key doctrine at that moment. And John's moment is, who is Jesus? Because he says to them, you know, who is the liar in verse 22? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That seems to be the doctrinal uh, question at the moment. Who was Jesus? And you're only 30, 50 years away from Jesus being on earth and still trying to process that. Was he the Christ? Did he fulfill all of what the Old Testament looked for, for the Messiah to be? Was he greater in a sense than anybody expected that the Messiah would also be God? Is that who he is? Did he really come in the flesh? If you're going into a Greek world that thought the flesh, that physical part of your body was, was evil and that only the spirit was really good, who was he? In chapter 4, verse 2, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It's from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. That was their issue at that moment. It was who is Jesus? Is he God? If, if he's not God, we're all lost. Because you have to have God-man in order to have the salvation of the whole world. If Jesus lives a perfect life and dies on the cross, then maybe he's paid for himself, but he isn't paid for anybody else. So you have all the way through his claims that he is God. You have the writers after he dies saying he was God, and now John's dealing in a time when people are saying, no, he didn't really come in the flesh, or no, he's not, he's not equal with the Father or with the Son. So it seems like even the Trinity... The Trinity was one of the issues that they were really struggling to understand and whether deciding whether to accept or not. Because he says at the end of verse 22, this is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So that seems to be one of the things that they were wrestling with. Who is Jesus? How is he connected to the Father? How does that work? In our day, I think it seems like the doctrine in check in our moment is that the Bible is reliable and it's truly the Word of God. Because with the stuff that seems to be being written, even in Christian circles, it just seems to be taking a lesser and lesser view of what the Bible is. I was listening to someone or you follow debates on Facebook, that brain trust of a, of a social media. But when people say, well, the Bible's been written so many, rewritten so many times, to me, that's just gotten to be a lazy argument. Because nobody's, that person has not looked into, into how the Bible was written or the fact that we have thousands of ancient manuscripts that I was listening to, I was listening to a ministry say they can postulate based on the date of manuscripts and based on where they are in the world, they can be within a few decades of when, when some are written. So you have eyewitnesses writing, you have thousands of collections. We don't have to worry about being rewritten. 
hey, it's been recopied and recopied, but we have enough manuscripts to know what was copied well and what was not copied well. So it seems to be, is this really God's word or has this, is this the word of man that has some God ideas in it? That seems to be the, the attack point in our day. The other attack point in our day is the exclusivity of Christianity. In a day of tolerance, nobody wants to hear that, yeah, we really only have the one gospel in all of the world. That's not, that's, that is not at all popular, and yet that's our, that's our truth. In fact, if you turn in, uh, yeah, if you turn over to, um, where did I find that? I think it's chapter 5 in verses 10 to 12. It's just put so clearly, yeah, in 5.10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That's pretty clear. Here we're in this letter where John is going to talk so much about love, but love cannot overtake the reality of the gospel. The reality of the gospel is God loved the world and made a way of salvation so that whoever, whoever would come to Jesus could be saved. That's the truth. So what does an antichrist, what does an antichrist do with the truth? If we're living in this intense spiritual battle in which there are many antichrists, in which we're susceptible to some of what's going on, an antichrist will deny the truth. You don't need, you know, it will deny it in this way that it's really not from God in that, in that big way. But I think we're all pretty safe that we're protected by that. And so he's going to do some other things to us. Maybe he's going to confuse the truth for you. You know, I'll talk to people and say, I don't really read the Bible. I just don't understand it. If, you, if you've never come to Jesus, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And so you're not going to understand it. But if you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit who's going to teach you the truth. And so that idea that I can't understand this stuff, that's not from God. And if you step into God, he's going to give you an understanding of it. He's going to minimize the truth. And so you hear something, maybe in a, in a Sunday service or a podcast or you're reading scripture and you get a sense of what God wants you to do and you hear this voice says, don't worry about that. It's not that important. That's minimizing the truth. You have to do that right now. You know what that would cost you? Do you know how hard that would be? That's minimizing the truth. Or he will divide because of the truth. So I remember going through church history class in, in seminary and we got to like around the 1800s, late 1800s and 1900s, you have these couple of threads of a couple of key denominations. And then, man, they get into the 1900s and they just start splintering into all of these threads. I mean, I don't know how many Baptist you know, divisions there were or Presbyterian. I remember talking to a friend who was involved in Presbyterian church and saying, now, which one are you? Presbyterian America? Are you Presbyterian USA? Which one? Just, so he will divide because of the truth, not just denominations, but believers. Some of you have friends, people that used to be close friends, but now because of some doctrine or some th- teaching, they just, there's a division. So he understands divide and conquer. Or he'll distract you from it. You know, how many of us, you get up, you're going to get in the Word before the day gets going. You know how important that is. You're going to have a quiet time, and you make the lethal mistake of checking Facebook. And then a half hour later, you got to get going. you got to rush. Or, or however that is, he's just going to distract you 
from, from getting into the Word or distract you from applying it or what you read in the morning will be gone. That's what he does. Or in America, he makes the truth about you. That this, well, I'm not sure this would work for me. I'm not sure this is really going to make me happy. I'm not sure this is how I want to spend my money. I'm not sure this is what I, however that is, he's going to turn the truth to being about you. You know, when we read Colossians, it seemed like it sure was a lot about Jesus, you know, growing into him. Or, you know, an antichrist is going to drive another agenda. The agenda of Jesus for every one of his followers is to help reach the world with salvation, with this message of salvation, and to be committed to helping each other grow in that and finding our place of service and being encouraged in that. That is Jesus's agenda. If that's not what your life is about, in some significant way, then there's an antichrist driving a different agenda in your life because that's, that's, what he, that's what he's doing in us. And so, of course, he tempts us from the truth. Of course, we have these things we believe and that we built our life around and constantly we're being tempted by that. You, know, you ever thought to say, man, I can't believe I was thinking about that. That's where that came from. Or, or these opportunities that just set themselves up in front of you. And then, and then finally, he just deceives you from it. Well, I thought this is what God said. I, th- I thought I was right on this, however that went. It was interesting, the other day when I was putting this together and just made this list out on, on my desk pad, you go through Adam and Eve's temptation, he denies it, he confused it, you know, you will not die. Did God really say? He minimizes, he minimizes it. He divides because of it. Adam's in this moment, however long that moment was. Do I go with Eve? Do I go with God? You know, he distracts from it. Hey, you, you're going to be smarter. You're going to, he makes it about them. You'll be smarter. You'll be like God. He drives another agenda, which they were clueless from. He tempts from it. It's just crazy how all of these things you get to see in that one temptation. That's what an antichrist does with the truth. And that's why this intense battle that you're in is about the truth. That's why it's, it's so important that you know the truth that you're just faithfully reading the word and putting your, putting your mind and heart out there. Holy Spirit, would you just show me what I need to know, how I need to grow? I need to do that. This Easter, Don to me, this Easter will be 50 years that I got saved. So I need to still know the truth. I have to still come to my quiet time. God, will you show me what I need to know? He's not interested in my Moody Bible Institute diploma. He's not interested in my Dallas Seminary diploma. As nice as my mom had him, had him frame for me, he could care less about that. He wants to know how hungry are you to hear from me and how committed are you to hold on to the truth that I've shown you? Because that's the battle that's going on. Those who deny the truth or compromise the truth and those who, hang on, who, those who hang on to it. So what does he tell them? You know the truth. The problem the problem there, the, the danger there, is not that they don't know it. Do you see that? He, he says that in verse 20. He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Can you receive that this morning? You all have knowledge. You say, well, I don't know much. You know something. You all have knowledge. You don't, you don't have to have a pastor tell you what it means to understand what the scriptures say. It's helpful. It's God's calling on my life. But you're not going to be in biblical ignorance if you don't come to church every Sunday. You have knowledge. You have the opportunity to to know the word. He says in verse 21, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. 
And so for them, for their battle was they knew the truth. They knew what it was. They should be growing in it. They know the truth that anoints them. He says to them, but you have been anointed in verse 20. That's, that's the coming on your life when you come to Jesus by the Holy Spirit who brings knowledge and he brings you the ability to understand the word. In fact, look what it says um, in 2 Corinthians 1. When Paul writes the Corinthians, he's very frustrated with them, but he says even to them, and it's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee that there's an anointing from God. He's poured out on you his spirit so that you can understand the word and you can understand what he's trying to say to you. He says in 1 Corinthians that people apart from Jesus, they can't understand the Bible, but people who have the spirit, they can understand what he's saying, he's saying to them. So you, you, you know the truth. You can know it, uh, that there's this anointing that's on you. And then you know that there's a moment with the truth that you have to call out what's not true. So that's what he says at the end of, uh, so he says in verse 22, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Sometimes you have to call out the lie because you know the truth. There's times you have to say to someone, that's not true. You know, that's, that's not what God says. That's not what he has said. That's not what God means. There's times you have to step into that. Nobody really wants to do that. I don't want to alienate this person. But you can't let these people, you can't let people go on believing a lie because you know where the lie is coming from and you know who's driving that. And so it's so important for that to be called out. And that's what John is doing in the Word. He's doing that really strongly because what you believe about Jesus has a lot on the line. And says, this is a lie. And if people say that, they're a liar. And imagine that. They're reading the letter out loud. If there's any of those if that group left in the church, when we all know this is a lie, now look at that person. Hey, you believe in a lie. So important for us, I mean, to hang on to the truth, to know the truth, that's easy. We can all grow in it. But to come to a point where you say to someone, no, that's really not true. Say that well, but, but we got to say that because that's the battle that we're in. This intense battle is about the truth and somebody's got to stand for the truth. We got to stand for it well. And then, yeah, and then John says to them, as he comes back around this, this last time, you can be safe in this intense battle. Even if you don't know a lot of the Bible, even if you don't feel like you understand a lot about theology, what that is, you can be safe. Because what you're seeing is, is God's protection on us as, as his children, as his followers. Hey, God's protection is, is in exposing what's false. And that's why we have this letter he, said, he puts this on John's heart. John sends a letter to that group. They read the letter. They understand, they understand how to process people who have left. They understand how to process people who come, who say they're coming from John. They understand how to process false teaching. He's put that in his forever book for us so that we would get that, so we, we would know that. We would understand God's protection from deceivers is exposing them. And so sometimes that's what we need to step into. Hey, that's one of the weights on Pastor Ted and I for, for our body. That if, we heard, if we heard false teaching, it's on us to make sure that's stopped. Again, not in the secondary stuff, but in the, in the crucial stuff. God's protection from deceivers is the anointing that's on you. He's protected you by giving this anointing so that, so that you can know. So he's looking for you to lean into that. 
to lean into it when you're in the word. Holy Spirit, you show me what I need to know. You connect things for me so that I begin to understand your plan. And you, you reveal to me who Jesus is so that I can have a good handle on that. You lean in on your anointing when you get into the word. And you learn from it. Do you see how he says, he says to them in, in um, verse 27, but the anointing you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But just as his anointed teaching you, teaches you about everything, everything. And so you know, these, you know those places that his anointing is going to lead you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to let you know that God rewards those who diligently seek him, that as you seek God, he's going to reward you. It's going to tell you that, that uh, this verse in 2 Peter 1, that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. You don't have to worry about that he hasn't given you everything that you need. It's going to tell you in James 1 that if you lack wisdom, if you ask him, he's going to give you the wisdom that you need as you lean into, into your, uh, as you lean into the anointing. Those are the places it's going to take you. John 16, that the Spirit's going to guide you into all truth because he's going to be in you and he's going to speak on Jesus' behalf. Or, or the anointing may take you to 2 Timothy 3 where the scriptures are, are reliable. I mean, it's so interesting. Our little Bella at five years old is going to a children's ministry in their church. This week's Bible verse, she's, she's quoting 2 Timothy 3.16. I mean, listening to a five-year-old trying to say profitable. <laughs> but what a great truth for her to get at five. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Can, that's where your anointing will take you into so that you might be thoroughly equipped for every, for every good work. Lean into your anointing. Lean into it and grow in the word. And then, and then God's protection is not just to expose and it's not just to give you this anointing, but it's to, it's, his protection is allowing you to abide in Jesus. And so that's how he ends, isn't it? Just as, you, as it taught you, abide in him. You know, he's going to talk all through this letter about these things have been gone from the beginning, just as you learned in the beginning. Sometimes it's, it's just a matter of, it's nothing new. Just go back to where you started. Just abide in him. You're, you've been given a relationship with Jesus. Lean into that relationship and grow in that relationship. Make it personal. Make it yours. I appreciated the word Gavin used last week. Anchor yourself in it. That your life is anchored to who you are with Jesus. Because this is an intense battle that is constantly going on around us, whether we see it or not. The truth, what people believe about the truth, how significant the truth is going to be in, in your journey, in your decision-making, those are all huge things. And so, so what's our takeaway? So our takeaway is kind of that you listen carefully. Even this morning, you listen carefully. I mean, I appreciate the fact that that you, so many people tell us, yeah, this is awkward, but you're going to see where I'm going. So many people tell Pastor Ted and I how much they love us, and I appreciate that. You still need to listen carefully to us. You need to listen biblically to us. You, know, you need to swallow selectively. You know, there's so many podcasts. There's so many churches that are online. There's so many effective communicators but what you swallow as true, you need to swallow carefully. My mom, when she would serve fish, she'd go down to Newton's Fish Market where I grew up and we'd have fish and she would give us 10 cents a bone in case we found a bone in that fish. As an adult, as a parent, I, I finally realized that is a brilliant way 
to get your children to chew very carefully. <laughs> you know, because we get a couple of bones out, but we were really careful. Swallow carefully. Distance yourself necessarily. There may be some Christians, some people that you love, you just need to distance yourself from because of what they're believing or, or where they're going. I'm not saying that if someone's starting to drift from Jesus, you distance yourself because they need you. They need you. But when a person's, you know, when, when they're not hearing from you, you may need to distance yourself. They went out from us. They weren't, they weren't of us, you know, in, in that sense. You've got to learn personally. You cannot ride my faith. You can't ride, you know, if you're a teenager, you cannot ride Max and Soph's faith faith you've got to ride your own so you've got to learn personally that's only going to come as you are in the word and then you've got to grow intentionally you you've got to you've got to grow on purpose you've got to know the areas that god is trying to work in your life and make those available to him and take the steps that he wants you to take and some of us we've got to stop giving ourselves a pass that there are things that are still in our life that god is he is anxious for them to become part uh, past or different ways of thinking. And he's tired of in heaven of hearing, that's how I am. Because that's not how he wants you to stay. So you've got to grow intentionally. And then we've got to correct purposely. That there, there may be moments you've got to step in and correct someone. And you've got to do that purposefully. Do it well. I mean, Colossians says, let your conversation be seasoned as it was with grace. But you've got to be straightforward when, when there are key points of what we believe that are on the line there. So... And why is that? Because John's heart is for real followers, and real followers, they know the truth. They know the truth. So let me pray. Then the team's going to come and just take us to that next hour. And John says, this is the last hour. The team's just going to lead us to what the next hour involves. So let's stand together and pray. Father, it's going to be so good in heaven when we get to the place where it's just the land of truth. And the liar has finally been put away and all the lies have been exposed and, and the things that we believed that were wrong are going to be corrected and we know the truth. And we get to spend forever with the one who's true, who's faithful and true. So in these days, especially in these last days, we're just crying out to you, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you live inside of us. Thank you that you know the truth. And thank you that you pass that on to us. Thank you that you trigger it in us when we, when we need to be corrected by the truth, when we need to be encouraged by the truth, when we need to be directed by the truth, when we need a truth in a moment to pass on to someone. That's what you do. We're so grateful. We pray that you would give us ears to hear so that we can hear from you in a moment, Holy Spirit. And we pray against those who would, who would say anything less about you or your word or salvation. Lord Jesus, we pray against them that you'd, you'd just let their words fall to the ground. We pray for those who, who used to walk with you and believe you. And for some of us, it's so hard. They had an influence in our lives and now they, they would be under that umbrella of being anti. So God, we just cry out to you in mercy and pray that you would turn their hearts again, turn their minds again to you and to the, to the truth. Pray that there would be just a humility that would just wrap them up and enable them to take that step, God. But protect us. Pray that we'd be faithful to each other to speak truth to each other. We pray that you'd help us to be discerning and just to trust you in those moments where we step in and correct, even as John's son here. 
And then just before we sing, I just want to give you a moment, if you're here without Jesus, that he welcomes. I love that place where he says, the one who comes to me, I'll never turn away. That he is the savior of the world and he's paid for all sin. And all a person has to do is just bow before him and confess that they're a sinner and they need, they need to be forgiven and that they're trusting that all their forgiveness is on the cross. And when that happens, you become his child and you become saved and he comes into your life to help enable you to live a new way. Like Bill said, might be radical change, might be a long journey, but that's what he comes in to do. And you can do that today, just your conversation with him, telling him that's what you want. That's what we're about. And that's what we're about making known. So Jesus be glorified. His people come into your kingdom today. Amen. Jesus, what a glorious day it's going to be when we do see you face to face. And all the cares and the concerns of this world are nothing but a distant memory. In fact, actually, I don't even think that there'll be a memory because we'll only know you at that point. We'll only know everything that's good. Praise you, God.
You know, you read the, the beginning of the book of Revelation and you get this moment that we just sang about that John has. He sees Jesus as he is. He says he just felt like a dead man. And it, Jesus had to touch him and tell him it's okay. That's probably some of our moment. Can only imagine. Hey, well, you know that, that our sister Joyce Crabtree went to be with the Lord Friday afternoon. And so, Rich, you know, if you're watching the, the live stream, man, she doesn't imagine anymore. You know, faith has become sight for her. And then that's our hope, yeah. So the night before he dies, this Jesus is praying, and, and this is how he prayed. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Hey, let that be the blessing that's spoken over us as we go out into this world with the truth. So have a great week. I'm in the front. If you, if you would like me to pray over you, one of us is going to be down front to pray if there's something going on, and we can lift that. We're glad to do that.